I uh, just would echo everything that Blake said about just the, the refreshment that God brought to my soul and, and our, our hearts as a team as we got to be refreshed by God's grace to us and, and to be, again, freshly aware of our sin and freshly aware of what God has provided to pay the price for our sin in, in Jesus Christ. And, and I just want to commend my friend Blake uh, to all of you. I, I just feel like so blessed by the way that he leads the worship team to serve us so well and to help our hearts to engage with, with God and to point us to Christ on a weekly basis. And I was just so blessed to, to get to, to be around him as, as I saw God continue to mold him and shape him for, uh, for God's glory here at Lakeside and, and for all of our joys. We get to rejoice in what God has done uh, for us together. Uh, such, a, such a great time. Uh, Pastor Ken sends his greetings. Um, we just got so fired up at this conference that he was, he was eager to be back with you guys today. Like he, wanted to, he wanted to almost arm wrestle me to see who would get to, to come on the plane and, and get to preach to you all this morning. Um, but TSA regulations being what they are, only those whose name is on the ticket get to go. So I have the blessing of getting to be with you uh, this morning. And I think one of just the, the refreshing things for us was just to see the way that God continues to grow us. I mean, God, God's been so gracious to me and to Ken and to Blake and, and bringing us to himself and, and, and equipping us for, for the work that he has for us to do. But we're still people that need to grow. And we're still people that, that until Jesus comes back and we get bodies that don't struggle with the fleshly tendencies that we struggle with right now, that we get to see God in all of his beauty and holiness. Until then, we're going to continue to be on this journey of, of growth. And, and so I just, I feel like I get refreshed every time I see God at work in, in my heart and to get to, to be growing alongside these two dear brothers that I love so much. And, and just to, to see God at work in, in us was just so refreshing. And uh, and so it's almost out of that spirit of, of continued growth that we want to open God's word this morning. So please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 16 with me. And I hope that, that that's your heart as well, um, that you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that your attitude is not, I have arrived. I have achieved the level of sanctification in which I'm good. I can just coast all the way until God brings me to glory, that, that we all as a church want to have our heart that God would continue to mold us and shape us and reform us for his glory through his, through his word. And, uh, and so it's, it's out of that spirit that I think if we were to look at Christianity in America today, or a lot that's called Christianity in America today, we would see a number of areas in which the church needs to grow. Right? And so one of those particular areas that, that I think as I've lived in the church you know, for most of my life and have got to see many different churches, uh, one question that I would ask us to think about if possibly this is an area that we even might need to grow in is to ask ourselves, are we happy because of Christ? Are we characterized as being a joyful group of people? because of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. One of, one of my heroes of the modern faith, uh, just a faithful pastor in England uh, who, who died in, in the early 80s, Martin Lloyd-Jones, said that unhappy Christians are a poor recommendation for the Christian faith. Unhappy Christians are a poor recommendation for the Christian faith. This world is searching for something that can truly satisfy 
And we have it in Jesus Christ. But do we show that? Are we actually happy in the way that we live our lives? Are our lives filled with joy because of Christ? And that's what I want us to, to, to think about even as we examine this passage of Scripture today. That as we look at American, the American church, much of the happiness in the, in the American church is, is like a sheet of paper. It's thin. It's not deep. Right? If you were to put the, the weight of life and the weight of you know, hardships in this world, it, it, it breaks apart and it, it falls through. And that's not the happiness that we're talking about. We're not talking about the cheesy Christian bubbly personality, you know, plastered fake smile on our faces type of happiness. We're talking about a rich and deep and full joy. So let us go to God's word where we are directed to to find our joy in the Lord together. Let me read Psalm 16 for us. David writes, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let me pray just as we ask God to work in our hearts. God, Lord, we we want to be transformed by your word this morning. Lord, we want your word to shape us. Lord, we want your word to expose sin in our hearts. Lord, we want your word to refresh us with a joy that can be ours richly and full and overflowing because of Christ. So God, I pray that our hearts would be soft to hear your word this morning. Lord, I pray that, that you would allow me not to get in the way of your word this morning, but that your word would have its effect as you intend it to in, in our midst this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, we can't help but notice just at the first reading of that psalm that this is a psalm that deals with Happiness, where David, the psalmist who wrote this psalm, is expressing his joy and expressing his excitement about the Lord and about the relationship that he has been given with God. But I think if we look at it, it's interesting for us to even see the way that David begins this psalm. And I think this morning we're going to see four points regarding our happiness and where it can be found and how it can be nurtured and how it can be, be grown. And if we look at the first verse, we'll see our first point is that David starts off by saying, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Right? Kind of an interesting way to begin a psalm or a song about the joy that we can find in the Lord. Preserve me. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And I think if we were to think about this, we, we see in our world today and all throughout the world that the world proclaims that happiness and joy is found in your circumstances. It's found in the things that happen to you in your life, right? The world would say for us here in Montgomery that you can be happy 
when you're, you, know, you have a day out on the lake, and maybe it's not 103 degrees that day. Maybe it's you know, more mild. Right? That when you're out there and you're wakeboarding or just enjoying the, 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 the water and everything, that then you can be happy. Or when your job, work is fun, and your coworkers are just you know, praising you and thinking you're doing a great job, and your boss is, is very complimentary to you and is wanting to promote you, that then, in those times, you can be happy. Or for moms, when all the kids are asleep, and when the dishes are done, and when the laundry is done, I've got a good book, and I can just spend time reading it, or maybe home and garden television is on my television screen, then I can be happy. In that circumstance. But what about those times when the kids are not asleep and the kids are fighting and the dishes are a mess in the kitchen and the laundry is never done? It's never done. That's what I've learned. The laundry is never done. What about when you have a hard day at work and your coworkers are not, they're not praising you, they're not enjoying you, they're attacking you, they're maligning you, they're working against you? What if you feel like your boss is not pleased with you and you're about to get fired? The world would say in those circumstances, happiness cannot be found. There can't be joy in those circumstances. To be happy, the world would say that you need to change your circumstances. But haven't we found that the pattern of our life is that it's very infrequent that our circumstances go the way that we would like them to go? Have you not found that in your life? That it's, it's a rare occasion upon which you're like, hey, everything's going the way I want it to go today. That, that's rare. That's not the norm of our life, and if we think about this, David's first plea is for preservation. He says, Preserve me, O God. When we think about the circumstances of David's life, it becomes even more striking how he can express this type of joy and this type of excitement about the Lord. Think about some of the circumstances in David's life. Um, his father in law trying to kill him. Think you got problems with your in laws? Hopefully they're not hunting you down and you're living in caves because your in-laws are trying to, to kill you. What about his best friend dying in battle? Maybe you've lost someone that, that you deeply love and you deeply care about. It's not, not foreign to David's experience or his circumstances. Think about leading a nation. Seems like a, probably a pretty stress-free you know, easy task. You know, there probably weren't any enemies that wanted to attack Israel at any time or anything like that. Israelites were probably always very easy to lead. You know, it was probably very easy. How about his own son rising up and trying to kill him? David's life was devoid of circumstances being easy and favorable to lead to his happiness. Right? If we were just to look at what happened in David's life, our conclusion, if we were thinking through a worldly perspective, would be this guy was probably never happy because even though he was king, things seemed to not go very well for him. Maybe there was a period where things were going good and he was happy then, but then when his son rises up to try to usurp the throne, that couldn't have been a happy time to see his sons living in sin. But I'm convinced from this psalm, right, that if we look at circumstances, we're never going to be happy. But I'm convinced from this psalm that there is something more foundational, something more fundamental to our happiness than our circumstances. And we see our first point, if you're writing it down on your notes this morning, is that there's a choice. There's a choice that David has made that he expresses the result of that choice in verse 2 for us to look at. He says, I say to the Lord, I make a conscious declaration to the Lord, a decision in my heart. I say, you are my Lord. I have no good apart 
from you. Basically, David says to the Lord, God, you're, you're my God. You're my God. You're the one that I worship. Right? And if we think about this passage for us today, the most important thing is we try to think about our happiness and, and displaying God's glory through our happiness is not, hey, when can I take the next family vacation? What's the next gadget or possession that I'm going to acquire for myself? What's the next fun activity or relationship that I'm going to pursue? More fundamental than that, the question that's going to lead to our happiness is the question for each and every one of us is who is going to be your God? What's going to be our God? That's the question that we need to be asking ourselves as we think about our happiness. Maybe that's a question that strikes you as an odd question. Hey, I'm here at Lakeside Bible Church. We just sang about God. Obviously, God is my God. Duh. If I could use a student ministry word, right? But the way that David is talking about God being his God is very different from the way that people throw that out in our culture today. Right? A lot of people in our culture may think that, hey, I believe in God. I understand facts about God. I would say that it's a true statement that Jesus was a real person and that he lived and died for my sins. A lot of people think, okay, God, he's just the one that, you know, he gets me out of a jam every time. You know, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to go to hell because of, because of God. And, you know, that time where finances are tight, then I rely on the Lord. Or that time where I'm in a, you know, a life-threatening situation, then, oh, God, oh, you're, you're right there. But a lot of people today would say that they believe in God. They would say that God is their God, but in the majority of their life, they are very uninterested in God himself. I think that can even be a temptation that we, even here at Lakeside Bible Church, could fall into. We can be content knowing things about God and not wanting God himself. So how can we tell? How can we tell what, what, what this looks like? What is God? This, we can tell it from David's statements right here. He says, first thing, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. You are my king. You are my authority. That's, that's, that's not just a general term for God. That's a term for God that speaks of God's right to rule and command his people, his creation. David says to the Lord, uh, not, hey, God, you're my co-pilot. God, you're my friend. You're my buddy. He says, you're my Lord. You are in charge of my life. You are the one who calls the shots. You are the one who's going to determine for me what's important to me in my life and how I'm going to live and what I'm going to do, how I'm going to live this life that you have given me. That's the first, the first aspect that D David says. He says, Lord, you're, you're my Lord. You're my, you're my ruler. You're my authority. The second thing he says is, I have no good apart from you. Now, this is not him saying, God, hey, you've brought some, some cool stuff into my life. I've got my health. Maybe I've got a, a home, a place to live. I've got a roof over my head. Maybe I have a job. I have a family. That's not, what, that's not what David is talking about. He's not talking about God's blessings here. He's talking about God himself. David is saying, I could have all of these other things. I could have all the notoriety, all the fame, all the wealth, all the relationships, all the pleasure, all the comfort that I could possibly attain in this life. And if I don't have you, God, it all means nothing. He says, without you, you are the thing that I say, without God, nothing else matters in my life. Nothing else matters. There was only one factor in the equation of David's happiness, and that was God himself. It wasn't well, if I've got God and the circumstances is happening this way, then, then I can have joy. Then I can be happy. It was the Lord 
And another thing that we can see, even looking back at verse 1, where David says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I mean, we don't know the, the particular circumstances that, that inspired David to write this, this psalm. We don't know exactly what, what he's talking about, but we know enough about David's life that this was a constant prayer of David. And I think this is helpful for us because often we can find what we really value and what we really want by what we run to when things get hard in our lives. Think about that. You can tell what you really want and what you really value by what you run to for refuge when things get hard. David says, in you I take refuge. My refuge is not in other things. It's not in my family. It's not in my bank account. It's not in fun experiences. What do we seek for refuge? What do we run to when things get hard in our life? Do we run to comfort? Just, hey, I want to get away and get a massage, and then everything's going to be right with the world. Do we run to food? Hey, I just, I just got to have a, a night out eating a steak. So often we, we try to seek refuge, I think, here in America by escaping from reality. Right? Isn't that why television and movies are so popular? Because it gives us a, a chance to almost unplug from our life and live vicariously through the characters on the screen that are displayed for us. So we say, hey, you know, I had a hard day at work. I just want to unplug and watch some TV and veg out. Right? For, for a lot of us who are younger and some of us who are older, social media has become the, the newest numbing agent of the world in our lives. That, hey, I, I just want to check Facebook or check Twitter or Instagram, and, and that's what I'm going to run to for refuge. When something gets hard, I'm just going to get away and be on my phone, be texting. Maybe some of us seek refuge in Substances, alcohol. It's just been one of those weeks, just been one of those days. Maybe some of us even seek refuge in our family. Right? Family is a great thing that God has given us, but it's not meant to be our refuge. God is meant to be our refuge. You can tell what your God is by whatever you submit to, whatever you find your greatest satisfaction in, and whatever you run to for refuge. That's your God. That's your God. You might say, hey, God is my God. I love you, Lord. You're amazing. But you cannot treat God like he's your God in the way that you live your life. And David says, hey, Lord, I say to you, you are my Lord. I've got no good apart from you. I'm running to you for refuge. My question is, what are you finding your happiness in this morning? If I was to poll those around you who know you, Right, those who are in your family, maybe coworkers at work or friends, and I were to ask them, what is it that makes you truly happy? What what would they say? Would it be the Lord? Would your friends know about you that, that really God is what makes this person happy? I mean, obviously not not perfectly. We still struggle with sin, but would that would that be a part of their answer? Would they say, This this person loves God? This person God makes this person happy. That's what what it might be. Or would it be something like, hey, I think I think when other people like this person, that's what makes them happy. Or, or when they get to have fun experiences, they get really excited about going to a movie or traveling to somewhere that they haven't gone or playing golf or boating. Or maybe it's possessions. Oh, man, they are just a fan of Apple. They have got to have the latest iPad. They can't wait for the release of the next gadget. Or maybe it's a relationship with another person. Maybe it's a, a husband or a child 
or a person that you would like to be your husband and have a child with. Not all these things can be bad things, right? Like marriage is a great gift from the Lord, right? A family is a great gift from the Lord. A church, having a home, having something that you can do. These are all gifts that God has given, but he has not given those gifts to us to distract our hearts from him. He's given us all these great things for us to enjoy in this life so that we would enjoy him, so that he would be our ultimate joy and satisfaction, so that when we say, hey, I'm married, that's a good thing, that's a, that's a thing that I have obtained favor from the Lord because, because I'm married. Right? That's something that's to point me to the one to whom I've obtained that favor from, not, not to make my marriage an idol, that to make my marriage my refuge and my source of ultimate joy and ultimate satisfaction. I should take joy in my marriage. And I do take joy in my marriage, but it's a, merit, it's a joy that's subservient to the joy that I find in my God. And I hope that's the same for you. Now look at this. Look at what, what else David says here in verse 4. He says, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Whatever your God is, it's, it's what you submit to, what you treasure, and what you run to for refuge. He says, and those who run to another God, their sorrows shall multiply. And David had quite a bit of experience of this in his own life. Right? We think about the time that, that David was seeking his own pleasure. He was finding his satisfaction and his joy in something else other than the Lord. Right? He's, his generals and his armies are off to battle, and David is kicking back in the palace, and he sees a woman and he says, okay, my, my joy is going to be found in that woman. And so he takes her. And he takes her as his own. And he treats her like she's his wife. And after that, don't we see David's sorrows being multiplied? Don't we see how they, she conceives a child? And so he is frantically trying to find any way that he can to cover up his sin, to keep it from being made known that, that, he, that he committed adultery with Bathsheba. That he actually brings her husband home, gets him drunk, tries to cover it up, tries to have her go home. And he's righteous, and he says, no way, I'm not going to be you know, going home and hanging out with my wife when my brothers are on the battlefield. I'm gonna, you know, if the king wants me to be here, I'm going to sleep on the door, and then I want to get back to the fight. And that eventually leads to David involving others in his sin to have Uriah killed. And we see that, that through all this, that Nathan the prophet comes to David and says, you are the man that did this. And as a consequence of that, the child that they had actually was killed. We see David mourning for days, unable to be comforted by food. We see him mourning. We see his sorrows being multiplied. And some of us may be deceived, maybe even today, that there's something else besides the Lord that's going to make us truly happy. Let me tell you, it's that thing that is going to multiply your sorrows. Think about it. Maybe, maybe if you are convinced that people thinking well of you, respecting you, you being popular, that that is what is going to make you truly happy. That if you were to say honestly in your own heart, without people thinking well of me, I have no good apart from that. So maybe you're going you're gonna to run after that. You're going to try to obtain things that maybe, okay, my neighbors, I want them to, to think of, of us as having a good house, so I'm going to you know, really work on my house a lot, and I'm going to obtain some cool possessions. Maybe I'll get a boat. And so all the neighbors are going to be driving by and be like, man, I, wanna, I wish I had that guy's life. I wish I, I wish I could live in his house. But isn't, isn't popularity a fickle thing? Isn't it something that you can think people are thinking well of you at one moment, and then it changes in an instant? Right? And you can keep chasing it and keep chasing it, but you'll never truly obtain it. 
Think about what happens if we do something stupid. Our popularity can vanish in an instant with an action. What if, what if maybe we think that our comfort is going to make us truly happy? I've heard once it said that one of the greatest desires in the human heart is to sit down. Man, don't we experience this desire after we get home from work? I just want to sit down in a chair that is comfortable, maybe with my feet up, with a, a beverage in my hand, maybe sports on television, right? Nothing wrong with necessarily wanting to relax after work, you know, watching sports. But if that's our ruling desire when we get home, that desire is going to trump our desire to love our wife, right? If the most important thing, if the thing we truly think is going to make us happy men when we get home at the end of the day is our own comfort, it will multiply our sorrows, right? Ignore your wife when you get home from work and your sorrows will be multiplied. It's true. Don't nourish and cherish your wife. Make it clear to your wife that the most important thing when you get home is you and your sorrows will be multiplied. But if, you're, if your desire is for the Lord, then your desire is going to be to love and cherish and serve your wife. And that can lead to great joy. That can lead to great happiness. But not if, not if your, your God is your comfort. Maybe possessions, right? We think, okay, it's a bigger house. It's a newer car. It's a, it's a latest gadget, right? Isn't that such a moving target, right? That the moment that you, you feel like you've got it, it escapes you, right? You can have the latest technology, and three to six months later, it's practically obsolete, right? That now that you do not have the latest technology, you can get a home and be so excited about this property that you've invested in and the square footage, and then you live in it for a month, and you think, I wish it was bigger, and I wish we had more space, and yeah, two-car garage. I wish I had three, right? That's, isn't that the way it works? That the moment we get something, we think, okay, now I can be happy that the target moves. It's like a carrot that we're the horse that the carrot is being held in front of, and we think we've almost got it, and then it, it keeps moving in front of us, that every step we take to chase it is a step that makes it even more elusive for us to find. That's what's true, is that that any other God that we pursue is going to lead to the multiplication of our sorrows. I was uh, reading an article this year about Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, I would say, the best basketball player of all time. Some of you who don't know Michael Jordan, who are younger, may not agree with that, but you're wrong. And, <laughs> and I was reading this article, and the thing that was striking about this article, Michael Jordan turned 50 this year. He's been out of basketball for almost 10 years now. And the, the thing that was striking about this article was how the, the interviewer portrayed how miserable Michael Jordan was. You think about this, right? He, he's the, the best basketball player in the world, according to me. I'm not the authority or anything, but I think so, right? He's the best basketball player in the world. A lot of people know his name. Everybody wants to, you know, those commercials back in the day. I want to be like Mike. Right? I want to be like this guy. He's got all kinds of money. People are still buying his shoes for $200 a pop, even though he hasn't been playing basketball for almost 10 years. He's got all kinds of money, all kinds of fame. Whatever he wants, he can purchase it. And he's miserable. And in this article, he said, I would give up everything. I would give up all the money that I had for one opportunity to go back and be the best again. Michael Jordan spent his whole life chasing this desire of being the best at basketball, and that is the very thing that has led to the multiplication of his sorrows. 
But for us, praise the Lord, we have a God who is worth running after. We have a God that is not a moving target. We have a God that we can pursue that does provide joy, that doesn't fade away. That's not dependent on circumstances. Look at it, verses five and six with me. David says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. David says, as I look out at the buffet table of this life, and David had some pretty good options, right? David could, could have pursued wealth as his ultimate joy. He could have pursued pleasure with as many women as he wanted to. He could have pursued his own comfort. He could have pursued, hey, I'm the greatest king in the entire earth. I can conquer the world. David looks out at all of those things, and he says, the portion that I want is God himself. You are my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Look at what he says. He says, I, I, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. That's like language reminiscent of God saying, hey, I'm going to create a land for you, Abraham. I'm going to set its boundaries, and you are going to get to, and your inheritance, your, your descendants are going to, going to inherit that land, and you're going to get to live in it. And that's the nation of Israel was so excited about what God had provided for them. If we think about us, God has given us an inheritance, and that inheritance is large and vast. It's God himself, that we get to enjoy God forever. We get to be with God, beholding all of his beauty and all of his perfection, where we're just going to be in awe forever at God. That's an inheritance that is vast and beautiful and rich, and it's going to take us all of eternity, and we still will not have explored the vastness of the lines that have been drawn for us through Christ. But how often in our lives do we say, okay, I've been given all this, but I want to draw out these little lines over here, this tiny little little space, and I want to find my joy there. I want to find my joy in a a career here in this life. This this life is like a blip in in the span of eternity, and we we say, that's that's what I want. That's what I want to put, put my satisfaction in and my joy and we're so, we're so foolish so often. David says, indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David looks at God and he looks at all of God's majesty and all of God's glory and all of his perfections and his holiness. And how could we want anything else? Why, why would we want to turn down something that is so beautiful, God himself, for something that's ugly? for something that's going to multiply our sorrows. And if you're a Christian here today, you you should be saying with David that I have a beautiful inheritance. Look at how David describes it in verse 11. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, richness, depth, not a paper-thin, happy, fake joy, happy, happiness that, that isn't really real. It's full, it's rich. It's beautiful. And where is it? It's in God's presence, where God is. That's where fullness of joy is because joy is found in God himself. The world can't offer this. I I was thinking as I was studying this that remembering Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards is a great, great pastor, one of the foremost intellectuals in American history. Even students in public schools today still read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God uh, as literature. Um, but one of the men that God used to spark a, a widespread revival in the history of America, one that I, uh, I hope we get to see a similar revival in the future by God's grace, 
And Jonathan Edwards, in his, in his biography, would say, I, I would often want to get away and be by myself so that I can think about God. He would say, the times where I'm happiness, these times where joy is just welling up in me, are the times that I am just thinking about my God. I'm just thinking about his beauty and his perfections and his excellencies, and I can't help but be filled with joy. So for us, let's, let's ask the question, is, is this us? Are we people that, that worship the Lord? Is God our God? I, I couldn't help but think about worship as I was preparing for this, as we were at this conference this last week. And I, I wonder, do, do we really demonstrate excitement about the Lord as we sing his praises together? That's something for us to, for us to think about. I, I was caused to be uh, freshly aware of just the ways that I can just treat a song as a song. And I can be thinking more about the tempo or the, the music rather, rather than thinking about the God that this song is about. Maybe that's something that you need to examine your own heart when you come in and you worship. Is it more about the style of music? Or maybe you don't like the style that, that Blake leads us in and you think it should be a different style. Are we, are we happy not because of the style, not because of the song, but because of our God? And does that, that happiness manifest itself in some way, shape, or form? I love, I love my brother Adam Tyson. You guys, Adam, Adam Tyson, you guys remember that guy? I was so blessed to get to... To, to know him for, for even just a short time. And, and I, I feel like one of the first times I got to hang out with Adam, I was struck by, this guy's energetic. This guy has got energy like, like my son Charlie has. It's, it's amazing. It's just like limitless and, and bounding in his personality. I mean, he's, he's amped up, and I love it, right? I'm maybe not as you know, intense as, as, as he is. But I, I loved getting to watch Adam Tyson express his joy in God as he worshiped here at Lakeside. Right? The Ad, Adam was very expressive. Right? He's got an expressive personality, and that manifested itself. Right? But I also see others of you that I've come to know that, hey, you're more even keel. You're more, you're, you're more just a, you know, you're not necessarily an excitable person where you're up and down and, and everything in your life. You're, you're just kind of steady, and I've, I've been blessed to see you express your joy in the Lord in a way that looks different than maybe Adam Tyson would express, but I, I still see it. I still see it, and it's, and it's real. Maybe that's something for us to think through, is if, if God is this great, if we can have this kind of joy in him that's not even tied to our circumstances, do we actually express that joy? Is that joy really there? Or do we just come and go through the motions and then leave? Parents, right? I've, I've already talked about this passage with, with your kids, and, and we've been working on this uh, together. But I want to talk to you as parents, right? You guys... Didn't get to hear this the last time. And I'm so thankful for the parents at Lakeside that, that long for their kids to know the Lord. And, and we in Student Ministries, my role is to come alongside and assist and help you guys in your God-given role as, as the, the primary shepherds of your kids that God has entrusted to you. You've got a big job. I've got a big job as a parent, one that I daily need God's grace to help me accomplish. I was thinking about the, the verse in Ephesians where Fathers are commanded to not exasperate their children. Dad, do you want to know the easiest way to exasperate your kids? Tell your kids to have this kind of joy in the Lord and don't have it yourself. Right? Whatever, whatever makes you most excited, your kids know what that is. Dads, if football makes you most excited, your kids have picked up on that. They, they know, hey, football is really what gets my dad excited. Or golf. Or, hey, when we go on a vacation, my, my dad gets excited about that. 
do they say, and when my dad goes to church, he gets excited. He gets excited because he's with God's people. He gets excited because he's worshiping the Lord together. Dad and mom, love the Lord. Have this kind of joy. The best thing that you can do for your kids is to find your joy and your happiness in God himself, yourself. Yourself. And that's the choice. That's the choice that that David has made, that he's expressing to the Lord. And we're going to go through these last few points rather quickly. But the second point is the crew. Or, I mean, this is a youth ministry outline. So the crew or the compadres, right, trying to keep it all alliterated in typical seminary form. right? As Shannon preached last week, to love God is to love the church. If we find our greatest joy in God, we're going to find it joyful to be around other people who find their greatest joy. In God. That's what David expresses in verse 3. He says, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The saints, God's people, people that God has brought to himself, those are the people that I want to be around. Those are the people that I want to live life together with. God brings us into a body of believers, and, and that should be something that's exciting to us. That's something that we should love. We should love this church, this organization, this group of people that God has redeemed and brought. Together, And I would like to challenge you today that if your best and closest friends are non-believers, you need to find some new best and closest friends. And praise the Lord, you're here at Lakeside Bible Church, where you can find best and closest friends that you can have your joy in God fueled as you relate and interact with one another. This doesn't mean that we all like move into the same neighborhood and build walls around us and create some kind of commune. We still live in relationship with non-believers, but not, not the people that we really enjoy the most, not the people that we really want to be around the most. Right? We've got opportunities. We try to foster this as a church. We're, we're giving you the month of August so that you can foster relationships with other believers in your family, at Lakeside. We've got in September, one of the things I'm excited about is our grow groups starting up. If you're not in a grow group, you need to get in a grow group soon. You can talk to our elders. You can call the church office during the week. You need to be around other people that are going to fuel your joy in the Lord and not spend the most amount of your time and your closest friends around people who are going to try to get you to pursue the gods that they pursue and not the true God. You need to be putting yourself around people that are going to point you to Christ. You need to be coming here faithfully on Sunday mornings so that we all together can point each other to Christ and to remind ourselves of what God has done for us. That's why we get together. Next, next point is, okay, if, if this is the choice that I've made, and I say, okay, God, you're my God, what's that going to look like in my life? Write down point number three is the course. What's the course of my life going to entail if, if this is the choice that by God's grace he has, he has brought me to make through, through Christ and through his grace? Look at, look at what David says in verses seven and eight. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. And the night also my heart instructs me, right? This is what David says. Is, is that part of that, the result of that choice is that I am blessing the Lord and thanking the Lord because the Lord has given me counsel. Where does God give us counsel? It's, it's a heavy Bible. It's here. It's in his word, right? And I, I wonder how much joy and happiness we forfeit when we're not daily receiving that counsel from the Lord. We're not daily going to God's word and, and seeing the beauty of what God has done for us unfolded like passages in, in Titus 3 that we read together this morning. It says, I, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also. My heart 
instructs me. I don't know if, if you've got the ESV, maybe you've got a different translation, but next to that, there's a little notation that brings you down in your Bible where it says literally in the Hebrews, in the Hebrew language, it's my kidneys instruct me. It's kind of an odd phrase. In the night, my kidneys are teaching me. I, what does that mean? What he's basically saying is that I'm not just a person who, you know, from time to time, I kind of go to God's word and I learn a few things from it. He's saying that I, I've meditated on God's word so much that it's almost become a part of me, that in the night when I'm lying there on my bed and I can't fall asleep, God's word is like welling up from my bowels, from my kidneys together, that I've chewed on it so much that it's become a part of me, right? That, that in the night, my, my heart is instructing me because my heart is so focused on God's word that I can't help but remember what I read earlier in the day or what Pastor Ken preached about. He says in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. The course of our life, if we've made this choice, it's going to look like setting the Lord always before us. Right? That we want Jesus. We want his grace. We want what he has done. We want God's goodness, his majesty to be right in front of our faces all the time. When we get up in the morning, we want to think about God. When, we, when we're going, driving in our cars, we want to think about the Lord. I'm a, new, I'm a new homeowner, and uh, one of the things that you know, I've learned that comes along with that is taking care of the home and taking care of particularly um, the grass. I have a, you know, a backyard that we're blessed with, and uh, you know, I, I remember the first time I got to mow it. Like The people at Lakeside have been so generous to, to buy us some lawn equipment and a, and a mower, and I got out there, and I'm like, yes, cutting my grass. Like This is awesome. I'm so excited. This is sweet. And if you've been a homeowner for a long time, you're probably thinking, yeah, that guy's going to get a wake-up call pretty soon. And, and that's what happened, right? The next few times I do it, I'm like, this takes a while. It takes some time to mow this grass. And it's hot outside. And there are bugs that want to drink the sweat on my face. And it's loud. And, and so that circumstance in my life has been something that I've been even tempted, even just since I moved here, to... Like, man, this is kind of a bummer. I guess I can't be happy while I'm mowing, mowing the lawn. But I think by God's grace, he, he helped me even think about this text and to say, mowing my lawn is an opportunity for me to put God right in front of my face. I'm mowing the lawn. It's something I can do without a ton of thought. I just push and walk. Right? I can do that without, without a ton of thought. But it's a time for me to be able to think about the Lord. And so, I mean, I've been trying to do that over the last few weeks. Say, hey, every time I'm mowing the lawn, I want, I want to be thinking about God. I want to be praying to the Lord. And that has turned mowing the lawn from this circumstance that I feel like detracts from my happiness to a thing that's sweet. That, hey, I get to be pushing my lawnmower and thinking about my God. Right? And I, I still struggle to do that at times. But when I do that, it brings me great joy. It, it brings me great satisfaction to be able to think about my God. Our last point is that this kind of happiness is only possible through Christ. It's only possible through Christ. Now, these, these last few verses, verse 10 is kind of a peculiar verse, right? Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. God is right in front of my face. I'm excited about that. My flesh also dwells secure. And in verse 10, he says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. This Sheol, it's a term that the Hebrews would kind of use for the grave, the place of the, place of the dead. And David, with, with kind of stunning confidence, says, I'm not going there. I'm not going to the place of the dead. I'm not going to see corruption. My body's not going to decay. 
Now, so much of this psalm is true about David and his experience, but that verse is not true about David. That verse is only true about Jesus Christ, right? And Peter, in his sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, actually quotes these three verses and said, hey, David passed away, and his grave is with us to this day. But the one who did not see decay is Jesus Christ. He says that this this psalm that we've been studying in many ways is about David, but it's even more about Jesus Christ, right? He is the one through whom that, that was not abandoned, right? That did not see corruption, that three days later he rose. He rose and he's alive and he's not dead forevermore. If you think about it, as I read this psalm, I'm so convicted about, about the many times in my life that I have sought my satisfaction in something other than the Lord, right? That I have, I have put myself under my own authority, that I'm going to make the calls on what's happening in my life. And, and if you're honest with yourself, you realize that's, that's you too, right? And if verse 11 is true, in your presence there is fullness of joy because of my sin, because God created me to be in this relationship where God is my authority and he's also what I want. That's what Adam and Eve were created that to live by God's commands, and they got to enjoy relationship with him. They got to talk with God in the garden. But they chose to turn away from that. Like Romans 3.23 says, we all have sinned and fallen short of giving God the glory that he deserves, treating him the way that he created us to treat him. And they turned aside, and they said, no, we actually want to be our own authority, and we think that there's something that's going to make us happier than God can make us. And because of that, they were separated. They were cast out of the garden. And each one of us who sins, we have been separated from God. We are unable to experience this kind of joy unless something is done to us, unless we can be brought back into the presence of our God. Isn't that what we just celebrated this morning in communion? Right? Isn't that what we celebrated as we sang in the nation of Israel? Right? The temple that David wanted to build had a huge foot-wide curtain from top to bottom to separate the presence of God that dwelled in the Holy of Holies from the people right? because of their sin. That The people, because of their sinfulness, were not able to come into the presence of the Lord fully. But when Christ died, that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. That now, because of Christ, we can be ushered into the presence of God where there is fullness of joy forevermore. Praise God for that. That we can have fullness of joy. We can, Jesus said, I came that my joy might be in you, my disciples, and that your joy may be full. That you might know this fullness of joy that I have richly provided for you through the work of my son, Jesus Christ. And if you want to be happy, there's only one way. There's only one way that you can know this fullness of joy that verse 11 talks about. Is that if you're able to be in the presence of God, and none of us are worthy. The only ones who are worthy to be in the presence of God, Christ is really the only one who is worthy to be in the presence of God. But because of his righteous life that he lived on behalf of sinners, and because he took the penalty for sins that I could not take on my own, I can be declared by God to be righteous. I can be adopted by God as a son. We get God. There is no greater joy in all of the earth, in all of history, than knowing the Lord. 
than being in his presence. And that's what we get to experience now. We can be in the presence of God each and every single day. His Holy Spirit is residing within us. He has, he has made his dwelling with us. And then at his right hand are pleasures, not just now, but forever. Forever we get to be with God, fully satisfied, fully joyful in God's presence forever. So my question is, is this you? Have you put your faith in Christ? Do you know this kind of joy? Or or perhaps even today, are you running after another God that will end up multiplying your sorrows? Let me pray and just ask God. Lord, we thank you that you have come to earth and that you have made a way, Lord, that as we ran our hell-bound race, Lord, we were all indifferent to the cost that you looked upon our helpless state and you've led us to the cross. Lord, and I pray that there might be some today who are, who are right before the cross even now. Lord, that they've realized that they've been chasing after sin. They've been chasing after their own notoriety. They've been chasing after their own pleasure and their own comfort, and they don't want you. God, I thank you that because of your son, Jesus, that they can, they can confess their sins and repent of their sins and put their faith in, in Jesus and know joy today. To know this joy, Lord, that, that, Lord, that they can know you. That, Lord, that you, you say in your word that your son came to die so that Christ might bring us to God. So we thank you for that. We praise your name, Lord. We, we pray that you would refresh us, those of us that you have saved with your goodness today. That, Lord, that you've been so good to bring us to, the, to yourself. That we might know joy to take the penalty for all of our sins. To live the righteous life that we could not live so that we could know you. So God, I thank you for that. I praise your name. Lord, allow all of us to examine our lives. Lord, allow there to be um, no idols that we pursue. Lord, fix our hearts and our minds firmly on you. Lord, cause us by your grace to say with David, Lord, that you are our Lord and that we have no good apart from you. Lord, all for your glory we pray and we ask in your name. Amen.